It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Welcome to this special bonus episode of In The Key of Q, in which I'm going to bring back some of the guests that I've featured to talk about the intersectionality between Black identity and queer identity, specifically in the United States. This is an issue that really struck me that almost every single one of my Black artists I spoke to talked about this subject, this very specific identity, and the challenges, the very unique challenges that came with it. Now, as a white British man, I would not be the best person to chair this discussion. So I'm really delighted to welcome a wonderful, wonderful man who you won't have heard yet because his episode is actually in season. It's actually in season two, but he really has one of the most beautiful voices out there on the internet. It may seem like I'm running from you, but that just ain't the truth. I'm trying to get back to my room. Trying to shake this pain or lose Oh, it feels like I've been lost for days Lost in this unknown Just trying to rebuild my own throne I just need to get right at home Oh, oh. Carrington Kelso, welcome Thank you for having me again, Dan It is a pleasure to be back and tell me, Carrington, why did you agree to do this special episode and to host it? Um, well, first, it was an honor that you even asked me to do it. But um, this is something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. And um, being that it is my very existence, there is no off switch between uh, my blackness and my queerness. Um, I think it is a very pertinent conversation to have, and I just am honored and blown away that you would let me be the one to kind of uh, present it. What do you feel that you're looking to get out of this discussion with these three artists that we have on? Um, the biggest thing that I want everybody to take away with uh, from this conversation is uh, brotherhood and camaraderie. Um, I think that oftentimes it is easy to feel alone in these situations um, that nobody quite understands or gets it. Oftentimes you have relationships with queer people who are not black or with black people who are not queer and they don't understand um, that middle space. And I'm hoping that uh, with all of us sitting down and talking about this, not only do we see ourselves in one another, but any other black queer uh, men who have felt isolated by this issue see a little bit of themselves in this conversation. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, Carrington, I'm going to very much take a back seat now and enjoy what I'm sure will be an absolutely wonderful discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you. I got tired of being afraid to say that 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 i was a gay black man the 
you know, quote unquote, like gay friend who's like being sassy. If anybody was like sort of like ragging on him and he couldn't do it on his own, like as far as to defend himself, I would be quiet. This is Carrington Kelso with uh, In the Key of Q here talking with Ty McKinney um, about the Black queer experience in America. Thank you so much for joining us, Ty. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And thank you, Dan, for having all of us. Yes, Dan. Um, thank you, Dan. <laughs> Welcome to When uh, Dan and I first spoke about doing this tie, um, we, or he noticed that in talking to all of us um, Black artists, that there was a thread that kind of tied us all together. Um, and it was the intersectionality between Blackness and queerness, especially from uh, an American lens. And so um, really, I just wanna pick your brain about your experience as a young black gay man um, and how that intersectionality has affected you. Oh, wow. Um, whew, where to begin on this good old <laughs> morning or afternoon? <laughs> what day is it? Um, so I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, in the States and mm -hmm. to the world, it is the center of black gay, like life. Mm -hmm. It is a place where all the black gays go. It's even a running joke in the hetero world mm -hmm. where if you know like, oh, you got a cousin that's moving to Atlanta? Oh, okay, so what's going on with your cousin? <laughs> it's like, it's a known fact. Like everybody, you know, if, oh, if you in Atlanta, then that's what, that's like the black gay hub. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because Atlanta in itself is a hub for the black community in the States. Mm -hmm. It's always been perceived as like the place where if you want to, you know, venture into entrepreneurship or if you just want to have like a fresh start from wherever you are, um, Atlanta seems like the place because there's a lot of black life, of black the black culture is very rich there. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I always felt comfortable in my blackness because it was everything that I saw, everywhere that mm -hmm. I saw. I never felt sort of like, oh, like I'm the other. I felt mm -hmm. very much in the majority um, throughout all schooling, um, even in college, because my my notion uh, for for college was like, I need to go to a school that's not full of black people because I've been mm -hmm. in a school full of black people my entire life. So it's like just for my own sake, I probably need to know how to interact with different uh, you know, ethnicities from different walks of life. And even then, my school was still like. I think the second biggest uh, population was it was black. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta is just a very rich culture as far as um, the black experience. But growing up as a gay kid, it, it was very, very malnourished. Uh, mm -hmm. I rarely saw like outward representation for a black gay guy. Like it was usually the, the person who was like the gay best friend or right. it was... You know, of like my mom's like friends or um it usually was uh like the the funny kid in high school but he was like super effeminate and you know he got by by being funny mm -hmm. uh and you know 
being cracking jokes and being like super sassy, kind of like on the borderline of being a caricature, if like right. in hindsight. But still, like he, that was like their way of getting by. So everybody knew him. Everybody knew he was gay, uh, but they let him like I guess have some sort of social standard because he was super super funny because he knew how to mm-hmm. do shade better than anybody in the class. Right. Um, so that was pretty much it. I didn't really get to see um, like a black gay kid besides that and. And if you weren't that, you were, or you were getting like bullied like really bad. Mm, Cause I did, I did get bullied in elementary school and middle school just because I I guess I was showing very effeminate things and traits. I was also, I was also a teacher's pet too. I was Mm -hmm. very smart. So people, it was like, oh, they, they would call me fag or something like that just because I was that. And I was like, what? I don't know what that means. Like I literally was like, I didn't know what gay was until I was 10. Mm. Like had no idea. Like I would, didn't even have any like sort of noticeable like attraction to boys mm-hmm. um, until like middle school. But I just I didn't know. And then I remember one day coming home to my mom telling her like, "Hey, these kids called me like they well they called me gay at the time." And I was like, "They called me gay. I don't know what that means." And then she immediately was like, "You are not that. You are mm. not that." And I'm just like, "Oh, okay, so." Whatever that is, it's bad (laughs) because uh, your reaction was very visceral. So Mm -hmm. and then ever since then, I was like, okay, I can't be that. Still didn't know what the hell it meant. Right. right. (laughs) And I don't want to I don't don't want to cut you off, uh, Ty, but I I want to bring um, just um, attention to the differences in your upbringing around so much black culture Mm -hmm. in school and how to me it seems like it has created a safety net around your blackness Mm -hmm. so you're firm in that and now we are exploring or getting to an exploratory stage of your queerness Mm -hmm. and for me it was uh almost the opposite Mm -hmm. um Gwinnett County is very white and so I grew up in white spaces um and similar to you I was very smart and it put me in positions to skip grades, honor courses, AP courses, things Same. like that. <laughs> and because of that, though, the higher I got up in my coursework, the less black and brown people I saw. And mm. so I acclimated to that culture. There weren't, you know, black people around me. And so it was a bit easier for them to talk about queerness. Um, Like their parents kind of brushed it off in a sense. It wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. Um, But at home, growing up in a very religious household, that wasn't something we talked about. Like that was like a Mm -hmm. no-no. And I didn't find the black safety externally. Like at home, it was fine. Like you got it. Um, Mm. These are our people. We love each other. There's nothing wrong with your skin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Outside, it was different. I got called, you know, an Oreo uh, why do you speak so eloquently? Oh, yeah. Um, um, and things like that. Um, and it really fucked me up, to put it bluntly, in my head, mm-hmm. like something is wrong with me. I'm not the right type of Black or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until college where I found like a Black tribe um, outside of my family that was like, oh, no, like this is how it was supposed to be the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then that opened the gateway to me exploring my queerness even more. Like now that I'm secure in this one intersection, I can also be 
secure in the other part of that that road. So yeah. I, before you continued on, I wanted to just point out that duality between, yeah. um, you know, being comfortable in your skin and then also being comfortable in your sexuality. I think that's. Yeah. And also there's a, there's a point there um, for those listening who don't know these specific areas. So I grew up in, in, in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area in DeKalb County, which is very um, majority black and Carrington, uh, grew up in Gwinnett County, which is north of Atlanta, which is majority white. So even though we're both in the same sort of geographical area, mm-hmm. we still had two so different, different experiences. So different. <laughs> so different. Just by being on different points of the map. <laughs> and so, Ty, now that we kind of have a little bit of a background with your foundation, um, how did that influence your music? Like that experience where like how do we get from you know, kids are picking on me, calling me gay to now I'm singing songs about being in love with men. Like, fill us in with it. (laughs) It definitely was a process. I definitely, when I was first starting making music in college, I was not using any pronouns. I was using Mm -hmm. they, I was using you. (laughs) Because I was like, I couldn't commit to saying like, girl, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. commit to that. But I was definitely going to be like, okay, look, I'm going to just straddle the fence as long as I can until Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable and more ready to actually, you know, insert those pronouns. And also it's because um, the world wasn't, we weren't there yet, like right. as far as uh, on a musical uh, landscape of having out artists and not artists who were, you know, great in their heyday, but they came out towards like their retirement. Right. So it really wasn't sort of a thing. But then seeing like artists like Sam Smith and Frank Ocean and um, having those artists have those big moments uh, mm-hmm. coming out. It was just kind of like it opened the door because I I truly remember uh, when Frank Ocean uh, Channel Orange came out and he wrote that letter and put it on Tumblr mm-hmm. and everybody was just like, oh my god, like he's what? What is he? Because he didn't even <laughs> say anything. He was just like, I had a relationship with the man and it mm-hmm. influenced this project. And I was definitely like, you know. Sad to say this, but I was a part of the like the homophobic crew, like of the mm. well, not crew, but just the that space where people were just like he's doing what, and I'm like, because you know, out of safety, you just like you can't be like, right. oh my god, right. thank you so much for, for saying that. But <laughs> later on, I was just like, oh my god, like I needed to see that in order to feel comfortable mm. in my own art to do that, and so I've been just you know chipping away at that sort of you know internalized homophobia. Uh, to get I to was going to say, I want to touch on like, it. Yes. I would <laughs> like to touch on that again. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. Um, but I do find a lot in our community, uh, queer in general, and mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the Black community, a lot of internalized homophobia. And yeah. often people can't articulate just the way you did. I was a part of that. I did do those things. And so yeah. I would like you to expound upon that just a little bit more um, oh, yeah. about how you were conscious of the reason I am hating on this person is stemming from my own internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. No, literally... Uh... It's funny that I can not I can in hindsight I can clearly see like, oh yeah, you were definitely going through some things, honey. <laughs> but uh I remember that moment, uh, that pivotal moment in college because I was having a discussion. It was actually a music discussion amongst like my uh my classmates and colleagues um in like a dorm or something. And and this when 
the album Channel Orange came out and people were saying like, oh, like, how could he do that? Like, oh, I'm not going to listen to him. And I was trying to like be sort of the devil's advocate. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I really wasn't a Frank Ocean fan anyway. And he's probably coming <laughs> out because he's trying to like get album sales and stuff like that. You know, you know, be gay for pay or something like that. I was being very facetious and very obnoxious. Um, when in that situation, but I've just noticed where even in high school, where the, you know, quote unquote, like gay friend who's like being sassy and like trying to get mm-hmm. everybody to like crack, uh, laugh at his jokes and stuff like that. I would befriend him in private. Like we would have mm-hmm. our own personal like friendship. But if anybody was like sort of like ragging on him and he couldn't do it on his own, like as far as defend himself, I would be mm-hmm. quiet because mm-hmm. I knew I had a close proximity to him, right? Uh, you know, to him, and I'm. And as far as like social standing goes, like I, I'm on thin ice. Like I'm just a smart person that people like to cheat off of, right? Like that's why I, I have like some sort of social passing or whatever. Like other than that, if I, you know, decide, decide to defend him, I'm a social pariah too, um, right? So that's even from those early stages. I'm like, yeah, like you not defending or not just like standing by like your your queer family. That's that's the internalized homophobia because you're afraid of losing your your spot. So with that being said now, um, and you don't have to divulge your age, but (laughs) with where you're at now in your artistry Mm -hmm. as a grown man, Mm -hmm. do you feel more of a need to like stand up for or stand in spaces where um, it doesn't even have to be children, but any young person is um on that thin ice and they are in a space where they are vulnerable to um you know the hateful words the slurs to inject yourself in those situations even if it might be uncomfortable to be like now i'm standing on my own two feet let me defend this mm-hmm. person do you feel like a need to do that now oh yeah no i'm, I'm a mama bear <laughs> <laughs> when my first years of moving to new york i worked at a, a school i was a sort of a teacher's assistant slash like paraprofessional. Um, (laughs) It was a weird situation. Um, But it was so interesting to notice the queerness of like kids, like from an adult's perspective. Mm -hmm. You're just like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that that child's queer. Like, not like, oh, I'm calling you wild, but like you just notice the signs. And and, and it's like, it takes one to know one. So I, they knew me too, in a way. And there was this one kid I'll never forget um, he was in my seventh grade class that I was uh, in charge of. And he just took like a liking to me. Like he just felt safe to like me being around him. And he would talk about, we would talk about like some sort of like entertainment things like music and theater and whatnot. But mm-hmm. he was also picked on because he was like uh, effeminate and he was mm-hmm. really smart um, by like the other kids. He would just get picked on. And I was like, you know, I would be protective, like, hey, stop that. Right. Don't be mad because you failed. You right. uh, learn from him. Actually, you know, get his, get his help instead of trying to like, uh, you know, pick on him and everything like that. But um, he just, I just, we had a, this sort of like unconscious, like, I see you and you see me. I got you. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I might be that kid, not that kid, that dude that fosters like 100 kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I need all the queer kids to be in my house. 
right? Because I don't want you to like go through exactly the experiences that I went through or my generation or previous generations have gone through. Like, mm-hmm. I want y'all to be better. And, you know, now that things are more open and, you know, more accepting, I'm like, I want you to have a full-fledged, like, you know, childhood and, and right. adolescence. So you don't have to have this sort of delayed sort of experience in your um, 20s and 30s and so on uh, because you didn't get a chance to be who you are. But I feel very protective of Good. kids, queer kids, mm-hmm. and even just anybody that's queer and just like we're all going through it and like right. i'm always like trying to like reach a hand out on like you know when i see t- people on twitter and like we and like oh hey, you're you're a queer professional queer entertainer person hey right. you like follow for just i don't give a damn we, i'm gonna follow you right. i'm like i'm gonna right. show love to you because it's so hard not only to do just to be an artist but to be a queer artist and to be out mm-hmm. And do right. what we do in any of our um, mediums. It's so hard because right. you know we go through so many hurdles that the average entertainer won't have to go through. So, and it's, it's, instead of being catty and being like, "I don't like that you're getting praise," or "I don't like that you're getting like people loving you," like it, it's like no, like love on that person, <laughs> right. love on that person because a win for them is a win for all of us. Correct. Sometimes, like I, my personally, I do forget that. And I'm like, no, a win for all of us. It's a win. It's a win. It's a win for all of us. I have to remind myself that I am the gay agenda. The gay agenda mm-hmm. is to make sure that we can actually have a life. <laughs> of I love equity. it. I love it. <laughs> so that is, I'm part of the movement. So with wins, um, who are some queer artists right now that? Let's say they're listening to the show right this very moment and you want mm-hmm. to give them their flowers while they're alive. Who is like just doing it for you? Oh, OK. Who's who's doing it for me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely um, Warren Dumas, who has okay. been on the podcast. Um, he's also from Atlanta, too. <laughs> oh, wow. And so yeah. I, I follow him and we've been creating a relationship on Twitter for a minute now. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know he was in Atlanta. No, no, he's he lives in Brooklyn currently. Oh, okay, um, okay. But we had connected, and uh, I had realized that he's from Atlanta. I was like, "You yes. from Atlanta? I'm from Atlanta." <laughs> oh, we gotta be friends. <laughs> right. Like you moved right. from Atlanta to Brooklyn, just like me. We gotta be friends. I don't care. I don't. You, you may not like me, but I don't care. We're gonna be connected. I love it. So I love it. <laughs> um, but just seeing all the love that he's been getting for um, his. Uh, EP Glitter on Fire and his uh, lead single to you and the video. It's mm-hmm. been just so nice just to see like, you know, people from just all sorts of the interwebs just like showing him love and uh, Karamo from uh, Queer Eye and, and mm-hmm. uh, Real World, he gave him some love on, on Instagram and it's just like, ah, oh, I just love seeing that because yes, it's literally, he's he's expressing himself in the most authentic way. Absolutely. Um, and no boundaries. And it's just nice to see, you know, a queer superstar like in the making Period. do stuff. Period. Um also for Real Star. Uh Real okay. Star has been doing some some really nice bops. He got some nice bops. He loves a boom cat. He be dancing mm-hmm. on that TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> he be doing all the challenges. He, no, he really he, he does all the challenges. He got Cardi B's attention doing the up challenge. Uh, I was like, you you better Love dance it. your ass off. Eat, I need to be in a class eat. with you. Eat, eat. Uh, but yeah, so those two um, recently, I've just been seeing them. They've just been, you know, working really hard and just pushing. Mm-hmm. And it's just been really nice just to see that, like, and it's mm-hmm. still like there's a camaraderie with 
within right. us, like uh, individually, but all together and seeing mm -hmm. the queer community rally behind them. It's been very nice to see. Um, I will give two quick shout outs. Um, Vincent, I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Oh, Vincent. With. Uh, love, love Vincent. Their new and song. Want... Their new song. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, I love it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so Vincent, definitely. I want to give him his roses. I've been following him on YouTube for years. And he was one of the first uh, examples for me of like what queer music could really be um black queer music specifically because like i love sam smith death but it, mm -hmm. it's still not quite the same yeah um and then i have a soft spot for kalani i know she's not a queer man <sighs> but i just want her to have the best life me i too. love her music um i love her energy her spirit um and i think she's a great piece of representation for uh, the queer community. So those are my two who I've been listening to quite a bit lately. Yeah, those are those are some good twos right there. Love me, love me some Kaylana. That's Bay. That's Bay. <laughs> Is that song really a cover? What instrument are they playing there? What do those crazy lyrics mean? If you're the kind of person who thinks about stuff like that, you're in luck because I've got just the podcast for you. How Good It Is chooses a single song each episode and takes a dive into the story behind the song and the artist who made it famous. I'm Claude Call. You can find me in your favorite podcast software or just point your browser to howgooditis.com. How good it is. How do you feel about um, the blatant uh, ripping off of queer culture and pop culture without the credit being? How does that make you feel as an artist? It, it it's, a two, it's a two sided <laughs> coin. It's, a, it's okay. it, to be quite honest, but it's a two sided coin because on the positive, it's like yeah, it's been, actually it's, it's historically we, a lot of mainstream rips off of the queer culture, the underground culture. It's been a known fact. Um, so it's on the one hand, it's like, yeah, of course, with the shit. We 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 got the juice, we got the juice, we got the sack, we got all of it. We got all of it. But it's more annoying and infuriating because it's like we have more eyes now. There's more ways to see that you rip this off of this person. And there's there's no accountability. There's no sort of credit. There's no payment. <laughs> like you can say that you, you, you know, rip this off and at least pay the person that you got it off of. And there's none of that happening. So that's why it's more infuriating because they could get away with it in the past because there was, you know, there was no social media back then. Now you got all these eyes on you. So you just blatantly just stole this and you didn't, didn't give a damn. That I got a problem with. That makes me want to go to your house with a baseball bat and fuck you up. But yeah that that that's how i feel <laughs> understandably i think that it is um it can be deterring for queer artists to want to push the envelope and then worry that a larger heterosexual artist can copy the same gig and get you know a million two million three million and then it's like oh i'm not even going to tag the person i got and you see it a lot tiktok has been the biggest proponent of small creators small black creators um being ripped off and 
um, being allowed into spaces that Jimmy Kimmel, Ellen, things that could change any of our lives mm-hmm. um, because we created you know, what they've copied and you get a watered down version. And so it's how do you personally uh, persevere through the constant berating of people uh, eating off of a plate that they didn't create? I think we're in the space where that is the topic. It's like, how do you continue to create in a world that doesn't celebrate you? And I definitely was going through that personally, uh, which is my artistry, just like, what's my why? Because of course you, you know, it'd be nice to get the accolades and get, you know, the attention, the exposure and, you know, all that jazz because, you know, yeah, of course, why not? (laughs) (laughs) But just seeing the landscape of things and just the disrespect, it (sighs) definitely just defeats you a little bit. It makes right. you just not want to like, why am I going, why am I going to pick up the computer and put on my recording software? Why am I going to practice on my guitar? Why am I going to even attempt to do some sort of TikTok if I'm just going to keep constantly getting ripped off or getting silenced in a way? Right. Um, but the sort of like little light at the end of the tunnel that I've kind of gotten to recently is that creating the art is, is enough. It has mm-hmm. to be enough. Because mm-hmm. that's that's where I am, where I get uh, a sense of power from. The fact that I am choosing to create for myself and to put it out, like regardless of what happens, the fact that right. I showed up to whatever art space that I, you know, create, I did the stuff and I'm going to put it out, actually put it out, not just be like, mm-hmm. oh, I just did it. Okay, that's enough. No, put it out right. And, right. You know, like, and stand by it. Like, yeah, I make this piece of art and, you know, I'm better for it because... There's so many hurdles that you have mm-hmm. to go through to even get to the damn table, like to get for the, like, right. the painter to get to the actual like blank canvas. There's so much like mental hurdles you have to get to to get there. And so when you get there and then you create it and then you're like, actually, here you go. I did something that for me right now is it ha- it, I'm making that enough because it's really hard, like especially during this pandemic. Like it was right. super hard to just kind of like, why am I going to do this? Like we could be dying tomorrow. Like Correct. I could catch COVID and and be out, or mm-hmm. I could be killed for being black and be out. Like it was right. like on both sides. I'm like, I don't feel any sort of sense of safety or like hope that life is going to get better. So I have in, in my world, I have to make it better by choosing to do the thing that I love and that I feel like I was born to do. And I love that it. is enough. I love it. Thank you, Ty, so much. <laughs> it was a beautiful conversation. And I feel like I've gotten to know uh, so much more of who you are as a person, as an artist. Um, and there is now a sense of camaraderie, for me at least, oh, that yes. there is <laughs> another Black queer man who is going through so much uh, similar steps in life. And mm-hmm. so it has been a pleasure. And we are going to jump over to the ism. Yeah. And chit chat a little bit more about the Black queer experience in America. Release me from the caption of the vultures that let me breathe. Right, right. Right, I'm disgusting, disgusting, addicted to a culture that merely bleeds. Light, light, light. 
uncuff me, uncuff me. Roll off this filthy gurney and let me feel, me feel, me feel. If I'm barely breathing, no Duncan. Welcome. The ism, just ism. What do you prefer? Um, just ism is fine. Like when I'm not on stage, ism is fine. But like if I'm Perfect. being introduced for like a performance, then you know, yeah. But yeah, just ism is fine. Love it, ism. Nice to meet you. Same, um, same. Listening to uh, the conversation we just had with Ty, I'd like to start really at the beginning um, with your black identity and your queer identity. And I feel like where is the first point you felt that intersectionality? Ooh. Um, first of all, um, I met Ty at a, at a photo shoot for, uh, for Moby a couple years ago and they put us in the, in the, in the shot together and they were like, yeah, so, um, you guys are a band and we just turned to each other and we said, Hey, bandmate. And that's been our thing. But Love it. I think it was then, and that was recently. Mm. So that's kind of bad. And I'm and I'm I'm that's 36. Okay. It's not so, bad. It's not bad. For well, for to me, you know. Mm. But it mm-hmm. was then where that at at that moment at that photo shoot being in a room with men that looked like me that went through similar things as I did, even though I didn't feel, I didn't feel like. I was comfortable in this space because of just my own shit. But I just, it it was just like, wow, like I'm gay and it's cool. Like I don't, I don't have to continue to, to punish myself because I didn't end up being this black man that I was supposed to be, you know, who, who I am is, is enough. And, and who I am is perfect. And, beautiful in every way and i had to like kind of like relearn to love myself all over again because i guess i didn't really love myself at all yeah i think it was maybe 2015 2016 maybe sure and that's like really really recent so right the past few years have just me trying to really actually be myself like in my full form and in my art as well. And so you said um, relearning to love yourself. Um, Was there a point in your life prior to this photo shoot that you felt like, oh, this is it. I am a whole person. And it was shattered. That idea was shattered. And that's when you had to relearn your uh, relearn to love yourself. Probably having experienced uh, sexual trauma at, seven um and then being raped again when i was 15 16 and not knowing not having the resources to heal um the proper people to talk to to heal i wasn't in therapy so i went through this trauma and just carried it with me uh not dwelling on the trauma but i would like to know um, is that what got you started making music? Was it a way to heal? Or what was the the spark for you that said, I need to create art? Um, I started making beats in 2004 when I was in college. 
I think I wrote my first rap 2007. And it was something that I kept to myself because I'm like, first of all, there's no way in hell that I'm that me, a gay black man, is going to be successful in hip hop. That's just not mm. gonna happen. So I'm gonna keep my 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 little raps to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I just couldn't anymore, and I showed somebody, and they were like, "Yo, that shit fire, but don't tell nobody you gay because they're not gonna support you." Mm. And that was when it was just like, "All right, I'm just gonna turn it off." Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to relearn how to love myself, and then I had to learn who the ism was all over again. Because mm-hmm. I I created this thing years ago, and then started therapy. Now I'm healing. Now I'm realizing that it's so much shit that I hadn't dealt with so so many times that I stopped myself from being myself because I was afraid. You know. When you get jumped, when you've been held at gunpoint, it's like, it's just not worth me holding this man's hand in public. It's not worth me using pronouns in my music, which I do now. But back in the day, like Ty said, they, them, you, baby, you never, you, you never use no pronouns. You, 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 you keep it safe so everyone can, can fucking come to the party. Mm-hmm. And you're for, and, you end up forsaking who you are as an artist because you want everyone to come to your party. Right. But, yeah. And so now, with age and experience, you say you do use pronouns. Um, Were you met with backlash from previous listeners? Or did they receive you better because you were walking in your truth? You want to know what's crazy? I've got more (laughs) shit when I put out the I don't feel God video when I was in the fucking priest robe, then I did for a song where, where I say beat it, pull it out, eat it, put it back in the stroke. They love that. They love that shit. But don't let me like portray like like the fucking um crazy untalked about shit that goes on in church that that people don't talk about oh people they jumped in my inbox and went mad about that but the minute i start popping my shit y'all love it so now it's like okay if i want to talk about sucking dick in a handstand i'm gonna talk about it and it's gonna be the fireest bar ever period because i'm comfortable with them myself to actually save these things now i love myself enough to 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 give myself the liberty to be who I am. I love it. I love it. I I got tired of being afraid to say that 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 I was a gay black man because that's just not something that you do. You know, you are a black man. There is no anything else in that. So mm-hmm. you have to be this 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 fucking 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 demon of fucking hyper masculinity and rah rah and no man i cry i like men i love men and that's okay right. um um I'm, I'm a nurturer which is more which is seen to be like like a more feminine characteristic but i i understand that i'm kind of dual spirited and that's cool 
I think you have spoken so eloquently and getting to the the word dual spirited because I haven't quite had a word for it myself. Um, I believe that within each person, we carry a divine feminine and a divine masculine. And when we neglect one or the other, it puts us out of balance. And that is where toxic masculinity stems from. Um, And you walking in your truth to say, not only is there a conversation we need to have about religion, there is also a conversation we need to have about sexuality and the freedom that it brings. Uh, it will allow somebody else to walk in their truth. And that is why I think this conversation is so important. And I think that the art that each one of us is creating is so important. If we can get one person to say, I feel more like myself because this person is themselves, we've done our job. That's it. That's all That's I what want. we're supposed to do. That's all I want. There, There is... A tie out there. There's a Samson out there. There's an ism out there, and I feel like with us being some form of representation, it's like, okay, well, if he can do it, I can too. Why can't Mm -hmm. I do it? Absolutely. You know, like I'm, I'm grateful for people like B. Slade. Mm Mm-hmm. B. Slade has a song called The Naked Truth. If you haven't heard it, I would uh, highly suggest um, uh, Googling it. And that song changed my life. And I think it was at that point that I I started to try to figure out how can I be me now? Like, how can I figure it out? But like I said, um, in the interview I did with Dan, Black people go to therapy, I promise you. Please, please do it. Big proponent. Everybody, but especially black people, please. I was able to forgive my mother who, who, you know, battled drugs early in life and, and, and forgive my father for, for not, for not being there. The man that raped me, the man that put his hands on me, I, I, I was able to free myself of, of like a lot of things. So now I can talk about that in my music now. Now I can be gay and I can walk in my truth and I can tell you a story at the same motherfucking time in with the hopes that you don't have to go through what I went through. Sometimes sometimes I don't feel God and it scares me. Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. I've been searching for music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, Slaps, Audius, Instagram, and a few others. And in each episode of Song Surfing, I present some excellent tunes by a diverse group of interesting independent artists. So if you like to discover new artists and explore some music from around the world, then come Song Surfing with me. Song Surfing is available on all podcast apps as well as Spotify and Amazon. Uh-huh. Sometimes, uh-huh. Sometimes, uh-huh. Sometimes I don't feel God, God. and it scares me. Yeah. What I want to pivot to, just a little bit uh, lighter, uh, if you had musical parents, like I often say, like Beyonce is my musical mother, like I began singing because of her. Um, so if you had musical parents, like who raised you? Uh, it doesn't have to be rappers, just anybody who inspired you to be like, ooh, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I want to 
do what they're doing, who are a couple of people who are just like, this got me started. This was the spark. It's kind of hard because it's 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 more than two people. So it I so it's like okay. a dad, mom, and then stepdad and stepmom. I'll take so it. I'll I take think it. I'm a healthy mix of common with a sprinkle of Janet, a really healthy uh dose of Fiona Apple. And Saul Williams. I love it. And I love how quickly you came up with that. Because I've been thinking about this shit my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very, very prepared. I was very prepared. Love it. Love um, it. But yeah, Saul, Saul Williams, I saw him on Dead Poetry Jam, I think it was. And it, it was just like, I can do that. I can mm. do that. Mm-hmm. Fiona Apple, just Fiona Apple. Like she, she showed me how to be vulnerable in music but still make it dope mm-hmm. and it not come off corny common is the fucking reason why i rap period mm-hmm. and janet because janet like right janet taught me about sex janet taught me about one day being at a at a place where i could actually really really love myself like i didn't think that was possible but velvet rope told me it was I love it. Is there anything that you wish for um, our queer counterparts that have made it? If you could ask more of them, what would you ask? And I'm thinking, and this is, you know, no shade, but just like uh, the Little Nas X's, the Todrick Halls, um, any of the larger queer Black artists that have made it, if you could ask more of them, Got it. Because at first I was going to be like, you know what? I think I'm good. I don't want to go there. No. Hire black people to fucking work for you. Speak to the fucking black publicists and the black blogs and shit on the red carpets. Stop walking past them like they don't exist. No. Fuck that. Deal with your people first. Then run to Vanity Fair. Do Essence first. Do Vibe first. Then go to Pitchfork. That that shit pisses me off. And and Montero, I love you, but you do it. Todrick does it. A lot of y'all stunt, man. Go to your people. Em- implore your people. Ain't no way I'm gonna get on and ain't gonna be no black people around me. You're you're out of your mind. You're out of your fucking mind. Not nothing I'm saying that I can't work with anybody. I can work with anybody that can work with me. But right. I feel for the sake of proper representation, I want people to see that I employ black people. I have black dancers, black bands, black this, black that. I made sure that I that I took care of my people. That that means a lot to me. Because I can't say date them, so employ them. Dan Dan asks, why do you think that the black queer artists gravitate towards a Vanity Fair over an Essence or, you know, a Vogue. I I just, I would like to hear your, where the money reside, where the money reside. There are some, I hate to say this, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the mean black, the, the mean black It's a guy, conversation. It's not about mean, it's about understanding. There are some 
black queer people in the industry that want the white gaze so bad that they will forego um, sitting down with an Oprah to do an Ellen. They won't do an essence, but they'll do the vanity fear or the this or the that because that's where the money is and that's where the eyes are. And I remember we had black publications back in the day. We had Ride On, we had Jet, Essence. And then it's just like, they're all gone. All we have left is like Essence and Ebony. That's all we have. So wherever is going to get them the most eyes or the, the most attention, that's where they go. And it's not going to be your Essence or your Ebony. It's going to be your 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 spread in vogue, your da 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 in Vanity Fair, like that's, yeah. Um, do you think that um, homophobia within the black community has something to do with why we don't gravitate towards Essence, Jet, I mean, those that are still standing, is there a conversation to be had about them not wanting us? Like perhaps Tantra, and this isn't, I'm not dropping names to be specific, Fact. but speak, perhaps speak. a Todrick or a little Nas does want to go to Jet and they're like, ooh, you're a little too gay for me. Uh, we're going to pass on this interview. And I'm going to talk about case, it in the next one I do. How about that? <laughs> Listen, when, like, when I get on, these journalists, I'm they they better not fuck with me because they they better not fuck with me. Um, they're going to. You have to. Oh, it's gonna happen. And watch how I handle it every time. It's gonna be a lesson. <laughs> I promise you. I wish that the black community was more enveloping of people outside of the heterosexual dynamic. Like, sure, there are so many really really great queer artists and well black queer. Artists, singers, rappers, dancers, poets, actors, comedians. If we could, it, I just, it pisses me off. And it's like, we we might want to do this publication or that publication, but they won't fuck with us because we're gay and that's dumb. Right. So, we, so we have to constantly keep creating avenues mm-hmm. for us to be seen and for us to be heard. Absolutely. And to be heard beyond... Um, these gimmicky spaces, I find that Pride Month is, uh, oh, let's find the Black queer so they can be the poster child for this event. Yeah. And 30 days passes and you forget who we are. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to perform at Rolling Loud. I want to perform at Coachella. I don't want to be a Pride circuit artist. There's nothing wrong with being a pride circuit artist, but if that's where you see yourself and that's where you stay, that's on you. Correct. Correct. But no, I will do the the fucking Coachella and the I'm I want to do Afro Punk so bad. Same. That's same, like a dream same. to like fucking do Afro Punk and fucking come out on stage with a with a with a fucking Badu head rap. Thank you so much, Ism. Um. I think that it was a nice uh, thought-provoking conversation, and I'm glad that it doesn't feel like we're repeating the same thing from topic to topic. I feel like um, there is this community 
even if it's just right here. Um, but it's still so unique. Each one of our experiences is so unique. And I think that is so beautiful. So thank you for telling your truth, walking in your truth, uh, creating art in your truth. Um, because I do think that it makes it easier for each one of us to do the same. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am lost, I am broke, wave this cost, I am unarmed. Please put down your weapons, gangster grill, boyhood deception. I just want to right my wrongs, but that is this much too long. Hello there, it's Dan here again, and that's where we leave Carrington, Kelso, and his guests for the end of part one of this In the Key of Q special, looking at black queer American identity. Part two is available right now, and here's a clip. With Lil Nas X, one thing that the public doesn't isn't aware of is that there were LGBTQ hip hop artists out way before him, way before Frank Ocean, way before Saucy Santana. There was the Deep Dick Collective in the Bay Area getting bottles thrown at them. Yes, sir. For yes, sir. being on stage talking about dick, and these are three or four big old black men that look like they hang out at barbecues all the time talking about how they want to be laid up with another man. And this is in the, the mid to late 90s, okay? Um, and it's the biggest issue that I have, and I say this because I am a pioneer myself, is that these kids who get these platforms that other people have had to kind of suffer through so that they can have is they don't do their homework and they don't acknowledge. So it, it, he's standing on some shoulders that he has not yet acknowledged. Many thanks for listening. A huge thanks to Carrington Kelso for being the most wonderful guest presenter. And also thanks to Kajan Kantha and Murray Lang for their help in making this episode. Our opening theme is by Pauline Edu at unstoppablemonsters.com. And of course, other music is from my very, very talented guests. Tell me what you think about the episode on podcast at inthekeyofq.com or through social media. It would be really great to know your thoughts on this very, very important conversation. I'm Dan Hall. I produced this episode at Pup Media Consultancy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com slash inthekeyofq. I'll see you over at part two. Enjoy. <laughs>